Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 17 here in a moment. When I was in fifth grade, I had outgrown my bicycle, and I decided that I wanted a new bicycle. And so I made that a matter of prayer. Uh, and I prayed for a couple months, and then finally I was, I was in Bible drill, and my parents told me if I got a certain score on Bible drill, they would get me a new bike. And so uh, I began... Uh, to work even harder at Bible drill so that I could get this bike. Well, you know what happened? I missed it by one point. I, I, they actually counted off when I, when I stepped forward like this. I dragged my foot, and they, they wouldn't count it because I dragged my foot. And so uh, I, I was so disappointed. But you know what my parents did? They got me a new bike anyway. <laughs> Isn't that good? Uh, that was an act of grace. Now, I hadn't actually earned it. I hadn't gotten the right score. I hadn't earned it. But I got the bike anyway. You know, we need the grace of God. And God gives us salvation by His grace. He gives us all kinds of blessings by His grace. Uh, he is so good. And He is faithful to meet those needs and to extend His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that I have a God like that. Uh, God provides that grace through Jesus who fulfills the promises of God. Uh, now Matthew here is talking about the fulfilled promises of God. He has a genealogy, which we're, not, we're only going to read the last verse of the genealogy. Uh, some of you are thinking, amen. Uh, we're only reading the last verse, but... He is talking about fulfilled prophecy because in these genealogies we see God keeps his promises. God made promises to Abraham. God made a promise to Adam and Eve. God made a promise to David. Uh, and these promises come to fulfillment uh, in Jesus Christ. And so Matthew is connecting the dots for us, so to speak, so that we can see that. And this is a story about Jesus' birth. Now, uh, imagine with me, if you will, that you were engaged to be married. And somebody brings you the news. Did you know your fiancé is pregnant? What would run through your mind? Well, probably not that there was a divine conception. All right? You would, you would probably be thinking, uh, having feelings of betrayal. You would be having feelings of, what could this be? Uh, and maybe anger. Uh, what takes place in this scripture is that Joseph is confronted by this very reality. The person that he is betrothed to uh, is found to be pregnant. Now, betrothal in Jewish culture was equivalent to marriage. Okay? Now, they had not yet come together to have a physical relationship yet, but uh, it was considered marriage in the eyes of the law. And then later, uh, after the betrothal period was over, uh, they would have an official marriage ceremony, and at that time, uh, they, would, they would have that, that physical relationship as well. Uh, but Joseph is confronted with this news, and he has, as a respectable, good Jewish man, decided that he will not put her to open disgrace. Because if you suspected your partner of adultery, uh, you could bring them to the priest. They'd have to go through this ritual, and everybody would know it, and they would be uh, disgraced, 
Uh, and then, uh, if they were found to be a, an adulterer or an adulteress, uh, they would be stoned to death. Okay? This was the reality in that day and time. And so Joseph says, hey, I don't want her to go through that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to divorce her privately. Uh, and just kind of put her away, make an agreement and so forth, and we'll do this quietly, and she can go her way. Now, he's thinking about this. just running through her mind, r- running through his mind. And an angel of God tells him, Joseph, don't be afraid to marry your wife, uh, to marry this woman that you're betrothed to, because the baby within her is a supernatural miracle of God. It's conceived by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Joseph responds and marries her, and they don't come together physically until uh, the time uh, of Jesus, after Jesus' birth. So, uh, this is a situation here, and, and Matthew, as he shares this story with us, is also sharing with us how this great event of Jesus coming to this world as an expression of God's love, how this great event fulfills the promises of God. Um, And so, uh, if you will, look with me at verse 17, uh, and we're going to finish reading this. The fulfillment of God's promises is the title. Of my message. So all the generations from Adam to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, or Christ, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. The fulfillment of God's promises. How did Jesus coming fulfill God's promises? Jesus fulfilled them in several ways. He fulfilled them first by bringing blessing. Blessing. Look at uh, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham, and then he's going to go on and speak. Abraham was Jesus' descendant. What did God promise Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3? God promised Abraham, through your seed, through your descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
God brought blessing through His Son, Jesus Christ, to each and every one of us. Now, it's a potential blessing. It's an actual blessing when we choose by faith to repent of our sin and receive the salvation uh, Jesus Christ has purchased for us at the cross. Through Jesus' death for our sin, through his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and his soon coming, we're going to receive the full benefit of God's blessing. But we also experience it now. Those of us who put our trust in Christ experience the blessing of the peace that passes understanding. Is that not a great blessing? This crazy world, all these things that are going on in this world, uh, uncertainty about financial situations and the economy, uncertainty about the future of many. But God gives peace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Peace with God and the peace of God. He gives us that peace that passes all understanding. There have been times in my life where I've, I've been worried about something and kind of torn up inside about it. And I've taken that to God in prayer. And I've poured out my heart and I've thanked Him for His goodness. And after, there is a sense of God's peace. What a blessing. God also gives us uh, what Peter called a joy unspeakable and full of glory as we're walking with the Spirit of God. Now, you could take this blessing, you could just say the blessing is God's presence within us. Because the Bible says that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. He's the source of our peace and our joy. He's the source of our victory. Uh, All of these things that God has done for us. Um, The physical blessings that you have are a gift of God. Uh, There's what uh, the theologians call the natural blessings or the common grace that God gives uh, that are just the blessings that God gives to many people, whether they're saved or lost. And then there's those special blessings that God gives uh, only to those who know Him and have a relationship with His Son. Aren't you glad for the blessings that you have? You probably thought, thought of some blessings during this Thanksgiving weekend. Maybe you made a list of some things you were thankful for, and maybe you shared it around your table, uh, what we're thankful for, maybe God's provision for your life, uh, the clothes you wear, the food that you eat. Uh, we are a blessed people. But I'm going to tell you something. There is no greater blessing than a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, a few years ago, Billy Graham did a, a, a worldwide video project that piped the gospel into every single nation of the world. Can I tell you, through Abraham, and Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ, his descendant, all the nations of the earth have been blessed and will be blessed. Jesus brings blessing, and he fulfills God's promise in that way. So there's blessing. Secondly, ruling. Ruling. Now, by the way, what are you supposed to do for God's blessing? Thank him. Praise him. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody that you love or somebody that you know. So Jesus brings blessing. Secondly, uh, Jesus uh, fulfills God's promise by ruling. So there's first blessing, second ruling. Uh, Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David. To David. What promise did God make to David? Well, in 2 Samuel 7, also in Chronicles, uh, God makes David a promise that one of his descendants will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Forever. 
Uh, now, this promise of a ruling descendant was made first to Judah. So there's actually two promises here that are being fulfilled. There's the one to Judah that is found in the latter part chapters of Genesis where Jacob blesses his 12 sons and he blesses Judah. And uh, depending on how you translate the Hebrew there, it actually says that the scepter will remain with Judah until it comes to him to whom it belongs. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one to whom that scepter belongs. And God told David, your descendant will sit on the throne and rule forever. I'm going to tell you something. God's rule began when uh, Jesus Christ won the victory at Calvary. Uh, all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus rules over their hearts. But more than that, he's coming again one day to rule. I'm going to tell you something. There's a blessing in ruling. Now, when I was a kid, I used to like the story of Robin Hood. Actually, I still like it. Uh, but Robin Hood was dealing with a wicked Prince John. And Prince John was oppressing the poor and stealing from them high taxes. I mean, he was, he was extorting even the very money they needed to eat. Uh, and and he, was, he was killing them, and he was persecuting them and doing all these things. And Robin Hood... <coughs> was trying to help out. So, uh, you know, he would do what he could to, to bring provisions to the poor. You know, he would actually rob from the rich, not a good thing to do, but he would do that. And he would uh, take the money from that and bring it to the poor. Uh, but Robin Hood was waiting for good King Richard to come back. And when King Richard came back, the circumstances changed. Number one, Robin Hood and all his men were, were pardoned, and they were no longer outlaws. Uh, and also, uh, the people who were poor and oppressed now were receiving the things that they needed. Uh, king Richard was a good, a kind, and a just king. And England was changed when he returned. Now, whether that's a true story or whether that's a, a make-believe uh, fiction, uh, it illustrates something. There is a blessing in good leadership. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing like the rule of Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus Christ uh, will one day rule this world. The Bible says when he comes back at the second coming, uh, he'll come and he'll rule for a thousand years on this earth, and then he'll, he'll rule at the Father's right hand uh, in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem forever and ever. Uh, but the present rule of Christ is wonderful as well. Uh, I've heard people say, well, you don't want to be a Christian. Uh, you don't want to uh, miss out on these sins that you can do uh, while you're young. That's nonsense. Jesus Christ, if you will submit to his rule, young people, if you will submit to his rule, uh, adults, children, it, if you will submit to his rule, God will bring about the abundant life in your life. God has a good plan for you. He has a plan to, to bless you, uh, to help you to experience. See, God created us. He knows how we're wired. He knows what we need. Uh, and he has designed this world to work in a certain way. And he's given us his word uh, as, as our guide to live by so that we can experience the fullness of life. 
uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses told the people of Israel, he said, these words are not idle words for you. They are your life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus' ruling is a blessing in your life. I used to think, I was struggling. I was under conviction. I knew I needed to be saved. And I used to think, well, you know, if I get saved, I'm going to have to give up some of these things that I'm doing. Uh, And I'm not sure I want to do that. And, And I was struggling with it. But you know what I found? When I surrendered my heart to Christ, I found that life began. And it's gotten sweeter, walking with Jesus. The rule of Jesus is a wonderful thing to have a godly, perfect, he's perfectly wise, he's perfectly powerful. He knows exactly what to do and when to do it. Uh, He's not going to make the wrong decision with the economy. He's not going to make the the wrong decision in national policy. He's going to have world policy. But he won't make any of those bad decisions. He will always do the right thing. He will always take care of people with fairness, justice, and equity. He is the perfect ruler. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to rule as well as to bring blessing. And in so doing, fulfilled two of God's Old Testament promises. So the fulfillment of God's promises, how does Jesus fulfill them? With blessing, with ruling, thirdly with defeating. I like this one. With defeating. Look at verse 18. The second part, uh, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's what what we call uh, the virgin conception, uh, the virgin birth. Uh, uh, she, She actually became pregnant, not by the ordinary means, but by supernatural work of God. Now, you say, well, okay, that's neat, but how does that tie to, to fulfillment of prophecies? Well, in Genesis 3.15, God told Eve and Adam, he said, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. The serpent, by the way, is the devil. Okay? Uh, what had happened? Adam and Eve had sinned against God. They had a perfect situation. No death, no sickness, uh, perfect. Everything they needed was there in the Garden of Eden. They didn't you know, just enjoy it, uh, enjoy what they were doing and working and so forth. Uh, enjoy daily fellowship with God in the Garden in the cool of the day. Um, they had everything just exactly perfect and right. But what did they do? The one thing God told them not to do, they did. And if you who have a toddler understand that, the one thing you tell them to do, what do they want to do? They want to go do it. Uh, You don't have to have a theological degree to understand about the sin nature, right? (laughs) I mean, we've got it. But uh, Adam and Eve, through their decision to sin, wrecked everything. The earth was cursed. Uh, Adam was cursed in his work. No longer would it be as much of a pleasure, but he would have toil in his work and hardship and grief and trouble in his work. Uh, Eve was was cursed, and and the the situation of childbearing would not be a smooth-as-silk type of thing. There'd be pain in childbearing, Um, and and the ground was cursed, and everything was changed, and nothing was ever the same after that one decision. But even in the midst 
of this great failure, God brings hope. He says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. What's he talking about? Eve's descendant. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, Eve thought it was Cain. Didn't turn out, right? <laughs> then they thought, well, maybe it's Abel. Uh, Abel gets killed by Cain. Uh, God uh, raised up Seth. Uh, they thought it was Noah. God made a covenant with Noah not to destroy the world with a flood. But, but Noah didn't end up being the seed either. Uh, then comes Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and David. And, and all through the Bible, they're looking forward. When is the seed going to come? When is the seed going to come? When is the seed going to come? And here in Matthew chapter 1, the seed comes. He's here. The one who's going to crush the head of the serpent is here. Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Well, he lived a perfect life to undo the sin of Adam and Eve. He died a death upon the cross, took our sins and the penalty and the wrath of God and the justice of God upon himself so that he could undo the curse of mankind. And some of those blessings are future for us. But uh, he's undone the curse. Uh, the Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on the cross. He took the curse of God. He took the wrath of God. And what he did is he stomped the head of the serpent and he defeated him on the cross. Jesus did a work of defeating. Well, what does that mean for you and for me? Well, if you don't know Christ, that means you need to be saved to be delivered from the power of the devil. Jesus has defeated him, but he's been given a limited amount of freedom in this world until Jesus comes. Uh, and eventually, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, the Bible says he will be bound and thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. Uh, it's kind of D-Day has happened on the cross, but the mopping up is coming later. Uh, he's defeated. His power has been, has been taken from him. But you know what the Bible says? For the person who repents and puts their trust in Christ, the Bible says we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. When you put your trust in Christ, God makes you a member of his kingdom. And now you have authority over the evil one. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. I see all kinds of stuff on TV with these... Uh, you know, I was watching the show. They thought it was a demon. It didn't end up being a demon, but uh, they thought there was a demon chasing people around in, in this, this particular television show I was watching. Uh, can I tell you something? You don't have to worry about that as a child of God. You can say, in the name of Jesus Christ, because we have authority in his name. In the name of Jesus Christ, leave this place right now, and he has to obey. Uh, the Bible says, submit to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Maybe a process of submitting to God and resisting the devil, but he will flee from you. Now, he may tempt you, he may try to harass you, but you have the ability to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know what the Bible says? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have victory. Our, our enemy is a defeated foe. 
You and I may mess up. We may lose some battles along the way. But I want to tell you, our victory is assured. Satan is defeated. His head has been crushed by the boot of Jesus Christ. Jesus has won the victory. That's not good stuff. I tell you, um, Satan, uh, Satan was defeated and Jesus did the work of defeating. That's one of the reasons he came. So what did Jesus do to fulfill God's promises? He fulfilled them by bringing blessing, ruling, defeating, fourthly, saving. saving. Look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay? The word Jesus is the equivalent to the Hebrew Joshua. Okay? It's the same name, but it's in, it's in Greek instead of uh, Hebrew. Okay? Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua. So... Uh, the Israelites had an expectation. Moses told them, there's a prophet like me coming in the future. What did Moses do? He saved the Israelites out of the land of Egypt to bring them to the land of Canaan. So he kind of became a picture, a, a visual aid, if you want to say, uh, of what Jesus would later come to do. Joshua, later on, uh, he was Moses' assistant. When Moses died, Joshua took them into the promised land. He is also a picture of Christ because in, in Christ's first coming, he delivers us from sin. In his second coming, he's going to bring us into the promised land. Amen? Uh, and Joshua becomes a picture of what Jesus is later going to do. When Jesus comes back, he's going to defeat his enemies. What did Joshua do? He was a general. He took the people into the land of Canaan, and he won the battles of the Lord. But Jesus is going to come back at the second coming, and he's going to win the great battle of Armageddon, and by his brightness his enemies are slain. He will speak, and the power of his voice will decimate his enemies. Jesus will come back, and he will win this battle of Armageddon. He will save the people of Israel who are being persecuted at that time again in the same pattern that Moses and Joshua did. So much of Scripture is not necessarily a direct prophecy of what Jesus is going to do, but it is a picture, an illustration, not accurate in every single detail, but it's a historical occurrence in history that becomes a picture of what Jesus is later going to do. So Jesus fulfills... This as well. Jesus has come, but he's coming to do a much greater work of salvation. He's not just bringing people out of slavery into the promised land. Jesus is saving men's souls. And only Jesus could do that. You see, it wasn't enough uh, just to bring some, some laws that people could obey. It wasn't enough uh, to to uh, try to do some religious activity. No. What had to happen? The heart of mankind had to be changed. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. There had to be a drastic heart change. Only Jesus could do that. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. And so even at this early time, Jesus is born in the major, there's a looking forward to the cross. I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't come just to be a cuddly baby in a manger. He came to save your soul and to save mine. And because of what he's done, we can be forgiven. 
saved from death and hell, uh, saved from our sin, from sin's power, from sin's consequence. This all comes through Jesus. He has come to save not just Israel from their sins, but the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus came to save. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I had a friend named uh, Freddie who was a lifeguard. It was his job to save. You know, he was, he was uh, talking about how uh, he went through all this rigorous uh, uh, stuff to, to uh, learn how to be a lifeguard uh, and had to, to do these things. And uh, he was very proud of it. He'd, he'd passed the test, and he was now a lifeguard, and he said, Roger, it's a great way to meet women. Uh, and so we were both single at the time. But uh, anyway, Freddie, his job was to say, and he actually had a, a time where he had to dive in and save somebody who was drowning. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus has done the greatest work of salvation for you and me on the cross. He'll save you from sin. He'll save you from the emptiness of life without him. You need to put your trust in him. Repent of your sin and receive his forgiveness today. If you know him, thank him. Praise him for his goodness in saving you. And then share it with somebody else so they can know it too. So Jesus fulfilled God's promises by blessing, ruling, defeating, saving, and finally becoming. becoming. Now all this took place, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Why did things have to happen this way? Why is the virgin birth important? Because no mere man could save humanity. Only God could bear the full payment for the sins of all humanity for all time. And to pay for that penalty in full. Uh, only God could bear an infinite penalty, an eternity of penalty in one moment on the cross. And that's what Jesus did. He paid it all. You've heard the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's what Jesus did. He paid it all. Every sin you've ever committed, every idle word you've spoken, every evil thought that you've had, uh, every, every sin that you've committed, everything you've failed to do uh, but, but should have done, Jesus paid for every single sin that ever has happened on this earth, on the cross. Only God could do that. That's why this, this verse was so significant. Because uh, as Isaiah is speaking of a couple of different children uh, in that prophecy, he later on goes on to explain who this child would be in Isaiah chapter 9. Behold, unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, Mary was Jesus' physical mother, but God himself, God the Father, was Jesus' spiritual father. Jesus was both the son of man, or literally, if you want to be technical, the son of woman, okay? And the son of God at the same time. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Why this? So that God could be with us. We talked about, a while back, we talked about the tabernacle. We talked about the temple and how the presence of God came down. Uh, John chapter 1 says, the word 
Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. You see, Jesus became a man. That's why they call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus put on flesh. Jesus became a man. And he fulfilled the prophecy of God in doing so. He fulfilled the promise of God. There will be this son. Yes, Israel, you are headed for judgment. Yes, Israel, there will be a time of restoration. But what you ultimately need will come in the form of a baby who will be born as the son of man and the son of God. And he will save his people. So, uh, Jesus became a man. What does that mean? We know that God knows everything, but Jesus came as God's son and as God himself, uh, the, kind of the mystery of the Trinity. But Jesus came and put on flesh and blood to experience what we experience. So that God doesn't just know intellectually what you feel. He doesn't just know uh, in an abstract way what your struggles are. Jesus walked through those struggles as a man. The Bible says he was tempted or tested in every way just as we are yet without sin. Jesus understood the grief of loss. Jesus understood the pain of rejection. Jesus understood uh, the, the, the agonizing uh, trouble of this world. He became one of us. And the Bible says, He ever lives to make intercession for us. Is that not a neat idea? Jesus, God's Son, prays for you. You, 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 you. He prays for us. And he prays with understanding, and he prays with empathy, and he prays with love, knowing where we are. But Jesus didn't come just to experience the things we experience. He came to bring victory over those things. One day, God with us, Emmanuel, will come again. And he's going to reverse the effects of the curse and the fall. And there will be no sickness, there will be no death, there will be no sorrow, there will be no crying, there will be no pain. But perfect existence with God forever. Jesus fulfilled God's promises by becoming a man. Jesus fulfills God's promises by blessing us. By ruling, by defeating the enemy, by saving, by becoming. Why? God was preparing us. He's preparing us to recognize the greatness of his gift. Can I tell you, people can question Christianity all they want to, but they cannot deny the fact that God's promises have been fulfilled. Jesus became a man. Jesus fulfilled the promises. Jesus suffered and died on the cross, just as Isaiah 53 predicted. Jesus is the one that all the Old Testament looks forward to. God was preparing us to recognize the greatness of Jesus coming. So when you're singing about your Christmas carols and everything, remember 
there's more to the story. Enjoy the time, enjoy, the, enjoy everything, but remember and thank God. Breathe a prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you need to, to receive the gift of forgiveness because all these blessings that God wants to bring you come through a relationship with him. The price that Jesus paid for your sins, you don't receive that gift until you actually take the step of receiving it. And so you need to make a choice today to turn from your own way, from your sin, to put your trust in Jesus to save you and, and receive that forgiveness. You can do that through a simple prayer. Uh, you don't necessarily need to do it in church, but I want to give you an opportunity. Jesus called people publicly to respond. So if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to just ask you to come here in just a moment when we begin the invitation time. I'm going to ask you to come to the front. I'll be standing here, and, and I'll be happy to lead you to prayer, let you repeat after me. But uh, make sure you make this decision because uh, this is God's gift to you, and, and you miss out on everything Christmas represents if you don't have Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the great blessing that you gave us in sending us your son. Thank you for the amazing fulfillment of these promises. Thank you for the victory that we have over the enemy. Thank you, Father, that we have a godly, holy uh, king who's going to come to reign, who reigns within us even now. God, I pray that uh, you would work in the hearts of people, Lord, that you would help them to respond to what Jesus is telling them to do today. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation, and I, I want to ask you, uh, I'll, I'll say again, if you don't know Christ, come to the front. I'll be waiting here for you to be saved. Some of you may need to come for believer's baptism. Maybe you've never followed the Lord in that step of obedience. Maybe somebody here today uh, needs to join our church. God has given you the sense that this is where you're supposed to be, uh, and you need to take that step and make that official so you can get, uh, get busy uh, uh, being uh, part of the body here. Uh, South Clinton Baptist. Uh, whatever God has called you to do today, will you do it? And Christian, if, if you haven't been thanking God and praising God for the great gift he's given you in, in Jesus, you need to do it. Uh, thank him and worship him and praise him. Uh, maybe you need to come to this altar and just tell the Lord, thank you so much for sending your son. Uh, thank you for the victory you've given me. Maybe you need to make a commitment uh, to the Lord to uh, stop living in fear of the enemy. I don't know. I don't know of any situation like that in our church, but maybe the devil's been kind of has, has intimidated you. Uh, you just need to say, Lord, I want to walk in victory. And I'm I'm going to claim that victory. And I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to submit to God, resist the devil, so that he'll flee from me. Uh, whatever God's leading you to do, you do business with Him right now. Let's stand. Thank mm -hmm.